In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The prophet Amos depicts God as a lion. And when God is fully roused to anger, when God is fully roused to action, just the sound of his roar is enough to shake everything. In these days, we're beginning to understand this quite well ourselves. Just this past week, the whole world has been shaken. In the blink of an eye, everything has changed. It's as if God is like a lion, lying in the grass, trying not to be bothered, flinching from time to time, growling from time to time and warning. But the wicked world, like a jackal, just keeps inching closer and closer, tempting him, testing him, ignoring his warnings, nipping at him, cackling maniacally, until finally and suddenly he's up and nothing will ever be the same again. Over the course of our Lenten study of Amos, we have heard the lion roar against the ancient nations. And no doubt, much to their surprise, we've heard him roar against his own chosen people, against Judah and against Israel. And what we know, because we can look back on history, is that everything that the Lord roared came to pass. In the text that you heard just moments ago, the Lord roared that he would raise up a nation to destroy Israel for all of its corruption. And of course, we know that his roar continued until that day when Israel was indeed destroyed by Assyria. But then, and indeed now, the roar of God is not without hope. Of course, that's a very strange thing to say. What kind of lion's roar ever includes something like hope in it? YouTube a lion roaring and you'll find awe and aggression and ferocity, certainly no hope. And yet hope is precisely what we do here in the roar of Yahweh. Indeed, in the roar of the lion of Judah, there is always some amount of hope. Because, as Mr. Beaver told Lucy in the children's story, He's not a tame lion, but he is good. From time to time, God roars against this truly wicked world. But he does so precisely because he desires that we would be shaken from our arrogance, from our apathy, and from our cynicism. And when I say we, I don't mean that generally. I mean also you and me. He roars because he would have us remember who he is and repent. He roars because he desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In short, we might say that he roars precisely so that hopeless sinners would realize they have no hope and then find their hope in him. That is perhaps one of the strangest things about God. 
this terrifying lion whom we wish to flee is the very one to whom we must draw near. For he is terrifying, yes, but he is also gracious and merciful and good. Two words stand out at the beginning of chapter 5, fallen and forsaken. Those are the two terrifying words that Yahweh roars against Israel and against all who would not turn to him. Fallen means that you will not be able to save yourself. And forsaken means that no one else will be able to save you either. A person without Yahweh, a person without Jesus, is a person without hope. But the same that is true for a person is also true for a nation. Fallen means that no nation will be able to save itself. And forsaken means that no military might or economic plan or miracle science or coalition of allies will be able to save that nation when God's judgment comes. A nation without Yahweh, a nation without Jesus, is a nation without hope. Fallen and forsaken, Yahweh roars, so that we might remember and repent, so that we might come to our senses and be saved so that we might no longer be fallen and forsaken, but rather found and forgiven. But too long in the church, too long in this new Israel, have we given and been given the impression that Christianity is merely a set of ideas to be believed rather than a life to be lived. What we believe we must live. Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount with this very point. The man who hears but does not do is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And when the rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow and beat against that house, it falls, and great is its fall. Three times in the text we heard, Yahweh roars what he wants his people to do. First, he says, seek me and live. Then he says again, seek the Lord and live. And finally, he says, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you. Hate evil and love good and establish justice at the gate. In other words, A, seek God. B, seek good. For the kingdom of God is exactly the opposite of the kingdom of the devil. There is no middle ground. There is only God's kingdom or the devil's kingdom. And you are either in one or in the other. And you are either doing the deeds of the one or the other. The kingdom of God is not permission to sin. 
The kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of God isn't acceptance of your sinful desires. The kingdom of God is the atonement of your sinful desires. God is both just and the justifier of the one who has no hope but Jesus. For in the kingdom of God there is but one king, the king of love, who gives himself to the cross for you, who bows his head in death for you, who from the greatest of all your evils can work the greatest of all goods for you. The kingdom of God is God enthroned on a cross and crowned with a crown of thorns for you so that you would know in the bottom of your heart that all your sins have been atoned for by him. So that you would know in the bottom of your heart that you have been forgiven all things by him. Seek God and seek good. These aren't two incompatible things, as if seeking God were a theology of the cross and seeking good were a theology of glory. Nothing could be further from the truth. Seek God and seek good, for God is good, and he is good in precisely the way he wants us to be good. He is gracious, he is merciful, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in steadfast love, he hates evil, he loves good, he forgives, he brings justice, he speaks peace, he fulfills his own law for us and toward us. And how then should we be? like father, like son. For God has declared us to be his sons, now and forever in the waters of holy baptism. So what then shall we do in these times when God's roar is shaking the world all around us? Above all, let us not be hearers only, but doers also. Let us seek God and seek good, especially the good of our neighbors around us. For our God has sought us first, and our God has loved us first, so that we might also love others and seek them. God's love for us in Christ Jesus, anchored in the cross, holds us firm and steadfast in all the storms of life so that we might remember that with his roar, he not only destroys, but also restores. He roars and we are changed from fallen and forsaken to found and forgiven and forever hid. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.